to Voices of the Belt and Road podcast, brought to you by the Belt and Road Advisory, your professional advisors on all matters concerning the Belt and Road Initiative. Voices of the Belt and Road is our flagship podcast, and with each episode, we'll hear the personal stories of people who are part of the Belt and Road Initiative. The aim of this podcast is to demystify the initiative by interviewing a broad array of people whose lives are impacted day in and day out by the world's largest cross-border trade initiative and infrastructure build-up. On this podcast, in addition to university researchers, think tank experts, and policymakers, you can also hear from business people, workers, and countless others involved in the Belt and Road. You'll hear people tell their own personal stories in their own languages, because at the end of the day, the Belt and Road Initiative is changing people's lives, and we want you to hear it from them. Please enjoy this week's podcast, and thanks for tuning in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Voices of the Belt and Road podcast. I'm your host, Greg Stead. Today, our topic is sustainability of BRI projects. And that is why we invited Jacob Tan, the founder and the CEO of MSC, Maker Sustainability Consulting. Jacob is one of 2018 Forbes China 30 under 30 and pioneers the field of sustainable development in China. He has advised many of global 500 companies and Chinese corporations on issues related to sustainability of their projects. Jacob, it is a pleasure to have you with us. It's my pleasure as well. Thank you very much for inviting me. Can you tell us about your background? How are you exactly involved in sustainable development projects of Chinese companies? I'll try to make a long story short. I first got interested in sustainability during my studies abroad in Japan and the United Kingdom, where I studied anthropology and business administration separately. The focus on sustainable development came both because of my own interests and the fact that I see it as one of the key topics nowadays, as it connects development with sharing values and promoting social responsibility. After my graduation, I joined a strategic consulting company, and a year later, I returned home to start my own business, which is called MSC. Let me give you a quick introduction. MSC is an independent global development consulting firm. Many people, when they hear words like social responsibility or sustainable development of an enterprise, will immediately think about compliance with legal standards or companies' activities aimed at public's benefit. But what we really are doing is pushing the boundaries of what sustainability means. So we strive to integrate societies with the strategy of enterprises. So on the one hand, we help enterprises to create new business opportunities as answers to social problems. On the other hand, we help enterprises to adjust their current business strategies to have a greater positive social impact. We have been active for almost four years and have served over 200 enterprises, including Chinese state-owned enterprises such as State Grid Corporation of China, internet companies such as Tencent, Alibaba, or Meituan, as well as foreign enterprises. And we are making an impact 
As this year, I had a great honor of making into the list of Forbes China 30 under 30. In general, the perspective on that I'm going to offer in this podcast may not be focused on major policies, but rather be focused on practical aspects of sustainable development and local impact. Under the umbrella of the Belt and Road Initiative, Chinese companies enter new markets and societies. Basing on your experience, how can they ensure that their projects and investments are sustainable? This is actually a very difficult question. Let me first emphasize that we are not specializing in the Belt and Road Initiative, but in sustainable development, both domestically and abroad. So in answer to your question, I'm going to refer also to what we know from our domestic activity, as some of the activities launched by Chinese companies in Belt and Road countries are very similar to the one launched launched within China's rural areas. We are talking here about precise poverty alleviation and rural revitalization projects. So, why do I draw this comparison? In both cases, the companies try to enter relatively developed areas and we've been working with many clients on such projects. Over the last two years, we worked, for example, with big telecommunication companies helping to design precise poverty alleviation and rural revitalization strategies, as those areas are a potential source of new customers for these companies. And it is a strategy that allows the businesses to grow and at the same time gather big data statistics on regional development. You see, if a company simply goes to a poor area, it is useless to tell the villagers in that place to download WeChat or Alipay. They sometimes don't have enough food, not to mention access to mobile network. So how can businesses help the poor and develop populations that can also become customers? We generally advise doing three things. First, you need to know the community. You need to classify the community that you're going to engage with your business. To do that, you need to do a field research and actually stay in those places. You need to see what the locals will want you to see and hear what the locals have to say or show you. That will help you to understand what aspects of development are still basic, which ones are more advanced also. I personally think that only in this way can we really get insight about the local reality and find out where the opportunities are. For example, many young people who grew up in Chinese cities have no way of imagining the reality of rural China. The situation is not different with, for example, African countries, which have heard about the media but have very limited channels. So. 
Do we really know that? I don't think so. Let me give you an example of our recent project in East Africa. Of course, you can go see the very magnificent migration animals in Maasai Mara National Reserve, or see chimpanzees in the Ugandan forests, and so on. But we went to Kenya, Uganda, Rwanda, and Tanzania in order to get to know the local people in a total of seven countries and ten cities in East Africa. We met with more than a dozen nonprofit organizations, as well as a lot of government departments and local social enterprises. All that was to help us better understand a single community that can tell you about the amount of effort necessary to complete this first step. The second step is to be with the community, which means really engaging with the locals. When an internet company was doing a targeted poverty alleviation in China, our team, including myself, lived in a poor county in Guizhou. For nearly two months. Similarly, in recent months, we spent time at a wildlife elephant and rhino orphanage, and a chimpanzee rescue center, along with a wildlife education center in Uganda. Staying in a place for a longer time really allows you to understand not only the problems that the locals face, but also the reasons behind them. The reason behind the problems. The fact that the locals lack money, inefficient management, outdated technology, or maybe frequent problems coming from aggressive wildlife. So you need to understand the problem and its cause. That finally allows you to move to the third step, which is to win the community. And actually, after you've done steps one and two. Gaining the trust of the locals is relatively easy, and that makes the whole relationship between business and local community smooth. Thank you for that. And which actors among internationalizing Chinese companies have been particularly active in applying a sustainable approach? What strategies do they apply, and what strategies would you advise them to take? I think that the problem is actually very big and very macroscopic. Let me approach it from a more specific angle, looking at it from the bottom up. It's really easy to say exactly what role it is, but let me divide them into three categories. The first one is business enterprises that have already become aware of the importance of sustainable development. Other categories are the ones that can be classified with an expression in Chinese. That translates as bitter reflection. Those are the companies that are basing their interest in sustainable development on their specific experience of problems or hardships they went through. But still, most of the Chinese enterprises are at a stage where they still don't know what they don't know. These companies are just not aware of the existence of the problem in the first place, as they haven't encountered it yet. 
So when it comes to strategies pursued by companies that are going out, first of all, the business strategies appreciating sustainable development must still be very commercially driven. So while there are companies that deal with consumable resources, such as steel manufacturing, wood industry, traditional energy industry, or ceramics, which consumes a lot of water, have a more conservative thinking on sustainable strategy and are forced to make a transition in order to limit the waste of resources. But there are more and more companies fitting the second category which I mentioned. They transform sustainability into a business opportunity. It's a boom of the local ecological travel in China. Also, Chinese SOEs in Africa are starting to think outside the box and consider the image and influence that comes with the state of a major player implementing big projects. For instance, the Chinese enterprise that constructed the Nairobi Railway in Kenya sought feedback from local elephant protection agencies to learn about the migration paths of animals ahead of construction to ensure that they don't have a negative impact on the local wildlife. When it comes to any advice on improving the strategies I have, you may laugh, but I really have to advise a case-by-case -case approach. In any case, I think that the Chinese enterprise decision-makers, in their eye, pursue the strategy of sustainable development. So for now, their focus is mainly striving for responsible production, sustainable utilization of resources, and taking part in some community building. But their primary motivation is just to avoid mistakes. But much more can be done, and the version of sustainable development that we are pressing for is more inclusive and innovative. That is to say that we can not only try to avoid the mistakes, but also create value. Sustainable development can be not only risk management, but also a source of business opportunities pursued locally that help the community to grow. So, many of the Chinese companies implementing BRI projects run into problems with local population or run operations that have a negative impact on the local environment. We know about such cases in Myanmar, Kyrgyzstan, Vietnam, to name just a few. Can you give us a case study of how Chinese companies try to solve those issues? Sure. There are really a lot of cases like this. Large infrastructure construction projects are bound to bring environmental problems. Generally speaking, major investment projects I've observed include manufacturing industry and such heavily polluting enterprises as ceramics, timber, mining leather, etc. Those are often launched on a national level. But you need to know local realities to create sustainable projects. My observation is that both companies and the Chinese public do not understand the countries along the Belt and Road. But a big question is how to solve this problem. Let me share some thoughts on that. 
You may be familiar with an application called Kuaishou that allows you to share short videos. There are multiple Chinese users in Africa, and their recordings of local life attract very large traffic. All that brings a bit more understanding to the population. So, for example, a user called Xiao Pan Chang has more than 4.3 million fans. He comes from Hunan, China, and now he is in Zambia. He has been in Africa for more than 10 years. He released about 3,700 videos. Another user called Walking into Africa is from Hubei and works within a construction site management in Nigeria. And another user is called, with what translates into African Guard, has about 5.79 million fans, if I'm correct. Sharing real-life-focused content helps to challenge the prejudice remaining in large parts of the Chinese society that associates Africa with wars, AIDS, poverty, and pirates. New applications offer an alternative to mainstream media that reports on Belt and Road countries in a very centralized way, which typically focus on a specific event rather than on everyday life and reality. After I told about this phenomena to one of our clients from a state-owned company, they included preparing Kuaishou videos as part of their training. For example, before the workers would go to work on a construction site or to implement projects in a specific country, they would spend a week watching all the Kuaishou videos showing the everyday life recorded over there. After watching all the videos, they were more prepared and more knowledgeable about the reality of places they were going to go to, what the life out there is really like, and knowing that helps to eliminate a lot of prejudice and makes it easier to enter the local community. I even heard from one worker who sent me a WeChat message a day after his arrival on the construction site. He told me that he sent a message to a local friend whose video he saw on Kuaishou, and they immediately became good friends. His basic knowledge about the local reality also greatly helped him to integrate with the society, and there are multiple such examples. So using the new technology, we can help to understand what the real life of local communities is really like, and that is a very powerful tool in eliminating harmful prejudice. Thank you. The case of Kuaishou actually sounds very interesting. I also want to ask you, Is there any difference in the way your Chinese and international clients approach sustainability? And also, does the experience of rapid domestic development in China help Chinese companies to carry out sustainable projects abroad? This is a very profound problem. I think that in terms of sustainable development in the traditional sense, I believe that the West is actually ahead, and you can see that in activity of the Fortune 500 companies. I believe that it's connected to the general level of social development, which helps to bring sustainability to people's attention. 
Both China and Chinese enterprises are still in the process of awakening, but this does not mean that China is slow or backward, and the traditional Chinese culture can also help in this process. I mean, here concepts of natural harmony, yin yang, unity, and so on. They can very well explain the need for balance. Between commercial development and social problems, this takes us to the big difference between China and the West, which is the West is driven by methodology and analytical, like an advisor, an expert. The West says before entering a new market, this is sustainable and this is not. There is a whole framework to it. This, this, and this factors have to be taken under account and reported. The costs of market entry, local conditions, all very methodological. That is a very effective approach that also helps them to communicate very efficiently. Let me give you an example. When I was in Yunnan, there was an American enterprise helping the poor, and they were saying that their actions are based on the ninth of the seventeen sustainable development goals of the United Nations. So, not only were they launching poverty alleviation programs in local areas or building a solid infrastructure, but they had a solid, concrete framework for this. This really helps to dispel the local government's doubts or misunderstandings about the intentions of such companies. So Western companies have a very good framework to support what they say and to explain what they do with different stakeholders. As for the Chinese companies, the process is very different. Many development projects have been launched. Under the Belt and Road Initiative's umbrella, many of them supporting the developing countries by construction of roads, railways, airports, hydropower stations, etc. Now, many of these projects are located in remote areas, and as a result, involve a large variety of different stakeholders. And I've observed some of such projects run in Indonesia. Where I went a couple of years ago, and where I'm heading back in a few days. So a number of such projects involve people, who in China we call village directors, and generally speaking, a lot of communication has to happen with very local stakeholders. But many projects are signed in a hurry. Without enough time for proper communication with the local government, and on top of that, on local levels, the language and cultural barriers are greater, and the problems can even be as simple as getting local permits and licenses, which the companies don't know about, not having a reliable local partner, and not understanding the local realities. So the project starts, and it runs into problems. That make the implementation very slow, or even lead the project to a halt altogether, and that has a very significant impact on the image and business of these enterprises. Not to mention the hardware losses caused by the duration of the project, etc. 
So the Chinese companies really need to work on communication. It's also in their own interest. And the local people can also benefit greatly in the end, as all these projects can connect them to a new world of possibilities and create jobs. And such programs are also being developed nowadays in China itself, targeting the central and western provinces, where Chinese companies realize that by becoming socially responsible enterprises, they can also get new markets for their activity. This can also help them to develop a better understanding of sustainable development and develop the know-how for their activity in Belt and Road countries. And there are clearly positive developments in regards to trying to combine business profit with positive social influence. The creation and activities of the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank are the key example. With the development of BRI Chinese Enterprises, got a real chance to develop their own solution to the question of sustainable development. It may not be like that of the West, not necessarily as methodological, but it will help to answer the questions of what kind of role do we play in these communities and what kind of social influence do we have. And that closes it for today. Jacob, thank you very much for sharing your unique insider's perspective on the issue of sustainability of Chinese projects abroad. It was great to have you on the show. Thank you very much. That's this week's Voices of the Belt and Road podcast. If you want to learn more about the Belt and Road Initiative, check out our website at beltandroad.ventures. That's Belt and Road, one word, no spaces, and .ventures, V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S. On the website, you can subscribe to our weekly Belt and Road Bulletin and also follow our Belt and Road Advisory social media accounts on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. That way, you'll always be up to date on what is happening on the Belt and Road. Thanks for tuning in and see you next week.